0: If you really really do do exist, exist, and you've you've made made all this, this, I figure you must must have some reason. I mean, what What if the whole whole universe universe exists so that this planet planet can exist, so so I I can exist? If that's That's true, then you you must must really want me to be here. Honestly, Honestly, that blows blows my my mind mind more than anything. anything. Good morning. Can't believe Christmas is this week. Can you? I, I, Christmas always sneaks up on me. I, Mary Alice and I got our tree up and it was still November. And I was so proud of myself. And I said, for the first time ever, we're, we're going to be ahead of the game. That was the last thing I think we've done. And uh, now Christmas is, is staring us in the face. Let me, let me give you a heads up about something this week that's really exciting and just it'll help you plan your week. But this year, we're doing something a little different. We're actually having next weekend's services on Christmas Eve. Um, Through the years, you know, Christmas Eve is one of the largest services, not the largest service we have all year. We have many guests, and what we want to do is just create the whole new spring experience on Christmas Eve. So not only will we have a full-fledged service, worship service, Christmas Eve service in here, but Kids World's going to be up and running, and as you know, part of the new building is open. We're really excited about that. And uh, so you, you have several options in the Christmas Eve services. You can be in here and have your kids in Jingle Jam, or if you want to, you can actually attend Jingle Jam with your kids in the Christmas Eve services. But those services are 3, 445, and 630 on Christmas Eve. Now, if you come here next Sunday morning, it's going to be a very small service, and it's going to be an outdoor service. So I want to kind of give you <laughs> a heads up about that. No, really, we won't have services next weekend, although Lance will be tell you, telling you something cool that you can do on the Internet it, to get your new spring fix this weekend. Well, I want to take you today to, uh, in our series, Beginnings, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, because it talks about God's creation of humans, and there's this one phrase in there that to me is very important, just a three-word phrase, male and female. It says, God created them male and female. Isn't it true that our toughest issues to sort out, to deal with, uh, to navigate are male-female issues, right? I mean, just, just think about all the different ways that this breaks in our lives, male-female issues. You know, you have the battle of the sexes and you know you have all the issues that are associated with dating and marriage and then now we've got further complications because we have same-sex attractions and we're asking questions about same-sex marriage and transgender issues and even sometimes there are issues that men struggle with with men and women women struggle with with women it's just challenging because males and females are different and and so i want to take us back to the place of design this morning because i think that's a place where a lot of us never go We're always trying to sort out the landscape of male-female issues and trying to figure out what the rules are and the rules of engagement. And and we're, we're trying to sort it out, but way too rarely, if ever, does our culture ever go back and say, what was the design? How was this supposed to work? What, what was marriage supposed to be like? What were male-female relationships supposed to be like? What were, what were relationships supposed to be like if you're a man with other men and with women with other women? How was this supposed to work? I know I've given you this illustration before, and maybe it's a kind of a hokey one, but it's, it's one that helps me. You know, of course, that a Porsche is basically a car that's built for speed. But there are also vehicles that theoretically are built to take off road for instance, you, you can take a Hummer off-road. It, it, a Hummer can engage terrain that a Porsche should not try to engage. So imagine, if you will, for a moment, here's a guy that just spent over 100 grand for a Porsche, and he's saying, you know what I think, I'm going to take this baby off-road and see what she'll do. So he takes the Porsche off-road, and he's in this rough, jagged terrain, uneven, ruts, holes, rocks everywhere, and, of course, he's ripping it apart, and he says to himself, I've got to do something about this terrain. Now, that's where we are as a culture trying to sort out male-female issues. We have taken God's design off-road. It's not working out well. So you know what we're trying to do as a culture? We're trying to fill in the holes. We're trying to pick up the rocks, but it's never going to work. If you've got a Porsche, if you've taken it off-road, the smartest thing you can do is get back on the highway and get out of the rugged terrain. And that's what I want to say to all of us as a culture, and especially followers of God, Male and female issues are so challenging and so difficult. Even with God's help, it won't be easy. But what we need to do is we need to get back on the highway and see what God's design was for male-female issues. So let's take it back to the beginning, and let's just start with the creation of man. I've already tackled that. You know what, what the Bible says. That when God got ready to create Adam... He scalped him out of the dust of the ground and blew his breath, his everlasting breath into Adam's nostrils, and Adam became a living human being. (laughs) Now, let's just read for a moment because I want you to get this picture. The Lord God said, verse 18 of chapter 2, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, if you read about creation, after each aspect of God's creation, God would look at what he had done, and he would say, it's good. It's good. I like that. And those of us who are The craftspeople, those of us who do our job, isn't it good to be able to back away from what you do and say, you know, that went well, that was good. And if you're God, you can always say that. God was backing away from his creation and would say, that's good. Do you realize the first time God looked upon what he had done and said, not good, was when Adam was by himself. Look at this. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right, or the word, the Hebrew word means corresponds. I'll make him a helper who corresponds to him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, birds of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And Adam, it says in verse 20, gave them names. Let me tell you what happened it was no surprise to God that Adam was lonely. God wanted Adam to know he was lonely. God wanted Adam to feel a sense of longing for Eve before he brought her into his life. God knew Adam was was lonely. Adam needed to know he would be lonely without her. So God did something kind of funny. God has a sense of humor. God says, Adam, we're going to do something for you, buddy. You're lonely. We're going to work this out. So he said, Let, let's, let's see what we got here already. What do we have in the inventory? And so one by one, God brought all the animals before Adam to see if there was anything there that might take his loneliness away. And the Bible says Adam named all the animals, which is pretty incredible because I can remember biology trying to do the same thing myself, and I couldn't do it. But Adam named them, and he, and he said, sorry, God, just eh, squirrel, too small, doesn't work, and, and you know giraffe too tall, and, and beyond that, just, there's no symmetry. There's no point of connection. Now, notice what God did next. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out uh, out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Now, guys, how God made Eve is just however he wanted to. He could have chosen all kinds of ways. But it's symbolic that I think that God took Eve from man's, the Hebrew word just says side. From his side, God created Eve. And I think it's important to realize, number one, that he, he made Eve out of Adam so that they two could, in effect, be one in every sense of the word. But more so than that, it's interesting where the location of the part of the man's body that God made the woman from. As I say in so many weddings that I perform, he didn't take the bone from the foot because the woman isn't to be walked on. Nor did he take the bone from the head, because the woman is not to dominate the man. But he took the bone from Adam's side, signifying equality, that Adam and Eve would walk side by side t- together through life. Well, the translation I'm reading from really gets it right in verse 23. Because what happens is, God brought Eve to Adam in verse 23. It's an exclamation. Adam says, at last... Wow. Or if we were to put it in in common vernacular, when Adam saw Eve, it was like, now that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly what the Hebrew means. (laughs) Do you watch as God is creating? There's a sort of crescendo effect going. I mean, it goes from from lesser to greater, and and then it looks like God's crowning creation is when he creates Adam. But have, have you ever thought about this? The very last of God's creations, the very last thing God made was woman. And I I think that's true. I think he got to his very best when he created woman. I mean, just think about, I mean, guys, work with me here. I mean, the beauty of a woman, pretty, pretty fantastic, right? That's God's best. A little girl was sitting in her granddad's lap and, and she was running her hand over his craggy face. And she said, Grandpa, did God make you he said, yeah, baby, God made me. She thought for a moment. She said, Grandpa, did God make me? He said, yeah, sweetheart, God made you. A little pause. She said, you know, I think lately he's been doing better work. <laughs> That's how Adam felt, too. Wow. Now, guys, it's at this point I want us to do something. Because as I said, and this is, how, this is true in church, I think a lot of times we just don't go back to design. We're trying to tweak bad circumstances and bad situations. We're trying to pick up the rocks and fill in the holes of bad terrain. But if we want to get back on the highway, you know what we need to do? We need to take a look at what marriage was like before sin. Because in chapter 3, our first parents are going to screw up. They're going to invite sin into the world. And, and the world is never going to be the same again, and they're never going to be the same again for years theologians would call this the fall in other words the human race fell when sin came in but before sin came in Adam and Eve were a couple and we ought to look at what life was like for that couple before sin I want to show you four things that men and women had in their relationship number one they understood their need for each other Adam knew that that's why God let him be lonely God wanted him to know he needed Eve, and you see that when God brings Eve to him, he's saying, wow, finally, at last, I need her. And Eve knew that she needed Adam. All you have to do is think about the anatomy of a man and a woman. You understand the corresponding nature of it. That's what God was saying. He's saying, look, I want to make somebody that corresponds to Adam. I want to make someone that Adam obviously corresponded to Eve. Just anatomically, they knew they needed each other. Emotionally, they knew they needed each other. A lot of us are couples here today. Some of us have been couples. Many of us hope, may, maybe perhaps at some point, to find our soulmate and be a couple. One thing I've enjoyed through the years of pastoring is watching just how different husbands and wives are. Isn't it, isn't it strange how that God puts us together? I'm an artist by nature. I, I'm very mercurial. I'm, I, I'm a big picture guy. My wife is very detailed oriented. She's very precise. She's very systems oriented. And I love watching her, what she can do, and how different she is from me. And I think there are a lot of you, if you're married today, or if you have been married, or you know, if, if perhaps you want to be married, you're thinking about this. You know, I want to find that person who brings to the table what I don't bring to the table. And the great thing is before sin came into the world, men and women, of course, there were just Adam and Eve, but the man and the woman knew they needed each other. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have been part of a breakup? Whether you're in junior high school and it was just puppy love, or if you've been married for many years. Man, a breakup hurts, as you know. You know what I think? I've got good friends who've been through the breakup of long-term marriages. You know what I think hurts the most? Just that other person communicating, I don't need you. Is there anything colder than that? before the fall there was a man and a woman who knew they needed each other the second thing is they were a team let me read a verse to you in genesis 128 look listen to this god blessed them and said be fruitful multiply fill the earth govern it reign a lot of people say god said that to adam but he didn't say that to adam he said it to them God said basically to Adam and Eve, you guys are a team, and I'm turning over the management of this planet to you. You're a team. Work together. Before sin, that's what happened. Third thing that I see before sin was there were no inhibitions and hangups. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, obviously, that's true in a physical sense. As one, one kid said, that was because God hadn't invented mirrors yet. But in reality, these were just two people that were together in perfect harmony, perfect teamwork, knowing they need each other. They were naked with each other, not only physically, but they were naked emotionally and spiritually. They could be completely unguarded with each other. They could completely be free to be who they were. There was no sense of competition. There were no hang-ups. And then finally... And let me just draw a bottom line by giving you this fourth one. They were functioning totally within the parameters of God's design. In Genesis 2, verse 24, here's the design. And this is in the Bible four times, but it starts the first time in Genesis 2, verse 24. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That's God's plan. Leaving, joining together, and becoming one. Obviously, in leaving, Adam and Eve didn't have this issue. I was thinking about this before I got ready for this talk. You know, Adam and Eve didn't have in-law problems. Isn't Christmas a good weekend to talk about that? (laughs) But even though, you know, Eve couldn't run home to her mother, and Adam couldn't say that, you know, his dad had it all figured out. But they were functioning, leaving. Leaving. Leaving us when we, and it doesn't mean that we cut off contact with our parents. It just means that a new family's been developed. I know couples who've been married 30 years, and a guy's still asking his dad, what should I do? Or a woman's still asking her mother, what should I do? There's no, no, they haven't individuated. They haven't become their own nucleus or their own cell. And then the Bible says a man and a woman are joined together. That means, the Hebrew there means glued together. They, they proactively become Close until they become one person. Now that was before sin. They knew they need each other, they were a team, they were working together, they had no hangups and no inhibitions, they were functioning according to God's design. But you know what happened in chapter three of Genesis? Adam and Eve both sinned against God and from that point on, the human race fell. And Adam and Eve became different people and the world became different and we're still hurting from it today. There's one verse in the Bible that describes better than any other the change after sin to the way men and women would treat each other, and that's in Genesis 3.16. God is talking to the woman, and God is saying, listen, you've not chosen to go my way. Let me tell you what the world is going to be like now. In 3.16, the Bible says, and you, speaking to the woman, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. God was saying, Eve, it's never going to be the same again. It's just your nature is going to be different, and Adam's nature is going to be different. Before you guys sinned, when you were living my way and functioning according to my design, you guys were a team, and you were wanting to please each other. But God is saying now, because you've invited the dark side into your life, you're going to want to control him, and he's going to want to squash you. <laughs> and Thousands of years later, men and women are still behaving the same way. It's a woman's nature to want to control. It's a man's nature to want to dominate. It's just how we're wired after sin. Those four things that I talked about that were so pleasant in male-female relationships, they were, they were changed into four things that were not attractive at all. First of all, there was selfishness. I mean, that's exactly what God was saying. I mean, that was what was behind. You're going to try to control your husband. He's going to try to dominate you. Instead of being together, they were each going to look at it for for themselves. I'm going to be out for number one. The woman is saying, I want control. The man is saying, I want to rule. Selfishness came into the marriage relationship. Conflict. Because they weren't team members anymore. They were in conflict with each other. They were fussing with each other. And then hostility. And finally, deception. That became the nature of male-female relationships after sin. Now guys, here's my very simple point this morning. If you're married, if you're dating, if you're just thinking about being married in the future, when you hit all these problems in your relationship, you can either try to pick up the rocks and fill in the holes, or you can get back on the highway. I want to challenge all of us this morning to, by the grace of God, get back to the place where we start functioning according to God's perfect design. And as I said, here is the point. The further away you get from God's design, the more pain you're going to have in your life. The closer you can get to God's perfect design, the happier you're going to be. See, what happens with so many of us, we want to know, what's the permission? What What is it permissible for me to do? Is it okay for me to get a divorce? I'm unhappy. My husband's not pleasing me. Is it okay for me to break up the marriage? Is it okay for me to do this? Is it okay for me to follow somebody else who's of the same gender? Is it okay? What's permissible? And that's not the question. The question is, what is the design? I want to take you to a couple of places in Scripture where God so clearly shows that's the way He thinks. I'm going to read you a couple of Scriptures about divorce. And before I get there, I know that many of us have either been through a divorce personally or people we love very much have been through a divorce. And I'm the first one to know that sometimes divorce has to happen. In fact, there are times when I've counseled and said it needs to happen. But wouldn't you agree with me with 50% of American marriages ending in divorce? Something's wrong. I mean, here's the thing. Not, no blame. N- n- not saying anyone's bad or anything. Nothing like that. It's just like Shouldn't we ask the question, what's going wrong? So what what we're going to deal with here in these two scriptures is the the issue is divorce. What I want you to notice is that when God begins to weigh in, listen to how God takes them back to design. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Uh, The Bible says in verse 3, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him. Pharisees were the most religious people of Jesus' day, and they didn't like Jesus at all. Because Jesus was just talking to ordinary people. And he was saying, you don't have to know all the gobbledygook. You don't, have to, you don't have to know all the rules. You don't have to be the adherent of a religion. You just need to know what God wants out of your life. And people were attracted to Jesus' simple message. And it just really upset the Pharisees because they were very religious, had their own deal going. And they were always trying to mess Jesus up. And what they loved to try to do is they tried to ask him a question that he couldn't answer either way. If he answered it one way, they'd run off to one group and say, this guy's a bad guy. If he answered it the opposite way, they would go run off to a different group, and they would say, oh, this guy's bad. So they were always trying to ask him a question where he couldn't go right either way. And they came to ask him, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? A little background. (laughs) There were rabbis in those days who had followings. And these rabbis had different points of view, and their followings, of course, would either line up with them or they would line up with the other people. And um, there were two rabbis who talked about divorce. One guy was what we would call a conservative. And he said the only way that a man could get a divorce, and it was a male-dominated culture, which is awful back then. But the only way a man could divorce his wife is if she slept with another man. Because the Bible had said unfaithfulness. And so he said, that's it. That's the rule. Unless a woman breaks her marriage vows, a man cannot divorce her. There was another guy who said, well, unfaithfulness can mean a lot of things. For instance, if she burned dinner, that's not good. That might be unfaithfulness. I'm, I'm, I'm not lying to you. And he could say, you're out of here. If she insulted his mother, he could say, that's unfaithfulness. You're out of here. So he had this whole list of things that a man could get divorced for. As you can imagine, he was very popular in those days. And so basically what the Pharisees wanted to do, they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to say, which rabbi do you follow? So that if he followed one rabbi, they could go to the other group and vice versa. But notice how Jesus answered them. He said in verse four, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why man leaves his father and mother. We just read that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Well, they said, well, okay, well, they were asking him, what about divorce? And Jesus is saying, think about design. And they, of course, weren't, they weren't put off by that. And they said, well, Moses said that if a man wanted to get rid of his wife, he, he could just write her a, a certificate of divorcement. And that was because the people, as Jesus is going to say in a moment, that they had very hard hearts. And if a man just wanted to get rid of his wife, in many cases he was just kicking her out the door. And there was this whole group of women on the streets and they were like neither married nor single and Moses is saying, look, we can't have this. If you're getting rid of your wife, you at least need to give her a certificate that says that she is a free woman. And so the Pharisees wanted to know why did that happen. Jesus replied in verse 8, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended did you catch that two times when jesus was asked what are the rules what is it when when is it okay to get a divorce jesus took them back to design he was taking them back to hey pay attention to what god intended and one more time i want to say to you i know there are times when divorce has to happen there are times when i've counseled that it should happen but at the end of the day we need to back up as couples and say, what is it that God has intended? Let me read one more text to you in Malachi chapter 2. There was a group of guys that were very religious, and yet they were mistreating their wives. i never cease to be amazed at how men can mistreat their wives, and women can mistreat their husbands, and yet they can, you know, turn on the spiritual gig. So God is like pushing back all that junk. And he's saying, here's another thing you do, God talking to men. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings. Verse 14, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? So here's a guy that's going to church, and he's also giving money to God. And God says, I'll tell you why I'm unhappy. Because the Lord has witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her, though she remains your faithful partner and the wife of your marriage vows. Verse 15, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. You see what I'm getting at? The whole point is, here's a guy that's trying to figure out, how can I how can I mess around with another woman and still give money to God and still go to church and keep everything? And God is saying, you're not getting it. You're not living according to design. Now, I know what somebody's thinking here today, somebody who's on the analytical side, and you're saying, Mark, are you telling me there's no hope? because sure before sin that was easy adam and eve yeah they were a team and they were functioning according to god's design they knew they need each other but then sin came in and we're all in that situation it's a world filled with sin so are you just telling me that male female relationships are forever whack well i will tell you that as long as we're in these bodies we're going to struggle But think for a moment what we're celebrating this week. We're celebrating that God sent his son into the world, as I talked to you about last week, to reclaim the planet. And for those who will invite Jesus Christ into their lives, even though we still have a dark side that we were born with, suddenly within us we have a new nature that gives us the capability to live according to God's design. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says that when you accept Christ, every weekend I invite people to to, to pray to receive Christ. That's such a huge change that the Bible calls it moving from death to life. In other words, moving from a place where all we have is the old nature, moving to a place where suddenly we have the capacity through the power of God to be different people. And if you've prayed to receive Jesus Christ this morning, if there ever was a time in your life where you invited God to come into your life through the person of Jesus... You have every capability of moving back and living according to God's perfect design. I talked to you about four things, four, four characteristics of marriage before sin. I talked to you about four characteristics after sin. I want to talk to you about four things that you can do if you're God's child to revolutionize your relationship. If you're a woman, With the man of your life, if you're a man, with the woman of your life, I'm gonna give you four thoughts. And here's the big one. You ready? Just take a deep breath. You gotta deal with the self issue. You gotta deal with the self issue. If you're a God follower, you can't live by what's in it for me. Now, here's the thing Before, before sin, Adam and Eve were a team. Afterward, there is this deal where the woman wanted to control the man and the man wanted to dominate the woman. But God is talking to us, and this is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21. God is talking to us about what a relationship is like between a God following man and a God following woman. And listen to what He says He says, Submit to one another. In other words, this is a, a, a woman who's not trying to control her husband. She's trying to meet his needs. And here's a man, he's not trying to dominate her. He's trying to meet her needs. So instead of two people pushing apart, these are two people coming together. They are submitting to one another. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Got to deal with self-issue. Parents, I, I don't have time. I'm running out of time so fast today. But could I talk to all of us for a few moments? The entertainment world is just driven to communicate to your kids that the world revolves around them. One of the ever-living smartest things you can ever do is to communicate to your daughter that she is not a prima donna and to your son that he's not the ultimate spoiled brat of the universe. I was talking to a friend whose mother was a teacher and teaching small children and this one girl was just incorrigible, just bouncing off the walls and the teacher tried to Explain to her that she had to obey the rules. The little girl said, I don't have to do anything. I'm a princess. Well, my mother would have known what to do with the little princess, I assure you. <laughs> Number two, humble yourself to admit your need of the other person. I talk to you about this in love songs, I talk about, every time I talk about men, women, relationships it is our nature to want to say, I am self-sufficient if you don't know what's bothering me, figure it out you know why that is? We're stuffy, proud people we don't want to say, I, don't, I need you And that's the cool thing about Adam and Eve before sin, they were, they were comfortable with their need of each other Adam knew he needed Eve, he, he'd experienced life without her And he was saying, I need you. And she was saying, I need you. That's what it was like before sin. That's the second thing. Admit your need of your life partner. Number three, become a team again. Remember, God said to Adam and Eve, I'm turning this over to both of you. You're a team. I'm not a good counselor. I'm more of a coach than I am a counselor. But I've counseled by the hundreds of probably thousands of hours many couples through the years. You know what i experienced so many times? Somewhere along the line, they're not a team anymore. Instead of being on the same side of the line, there's, there's this imaginary line. It's like it's drawn in their house. It's drawn in between them. She's on one side, he's on the other side. There's this constant negotiation, constant conflict, constant struggle. I always think to myself, if I could just get you both on the same side of the line and operating as a team again, it would be transformative. I'm talking to some of you today, and I realize I'm talking to a lot of married people today. And I'm talking to some of you, and your home is a battle zone because you're struggling for, for position, control, and domination. You say, well, Mark, how do we become a team? Give me something practical. Do you remember in love songs where the man said to the woman, you know, every time you talk to me, I feel like I've just been given dessert, and the woman is saying, your words are like kisses. Every time you talk to me, I feel like I've been kissed. I just want to tell you something. One of the greatest things that real teams do is they encourage each other. This is football season, and I know that some of you don't like football, and I'm sorry for bringing an illustration from football. But give me a little latitude if you don't mind. If, if you're not a football fan, you need to know that a football team is really com- comprised of, of two groups. There's the offense. Their job is to move the football down the field and score points. There's the defense. Their job is to stop the other, other team. And even though they're on the same team and even though they all wear the same uniform, sometimes there can be conflict just like there is between husbands and wives because their roles are different there can be conflict between the offense and the defense if the offense is scoring points right and left but the defense can't stop the other team then the offense is saying what's up with you guys and if the defense is going out there and they're shutting down the other team you know but their offense can't score any points the defense is saying like we're doing our job you're not doing your job and like i watch it especially in this narcissistic age a lot of times You know, you've got people on the sidelines on the same team screaming and yelling at each other like we're doing our job, but you're not doing your job. Well, you you guys know I'm a Cowboys fan. Grant me a little latitude. I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I don't want to be a Cowboy fan. I just can't help myself. If If there's stars on the hats, I just have to watch. On the Cowboys... Tony Romo is the quarterback for the offense. His job is to throw the football to open receivers and move the ball down the field and score points. On the other side, on the defense, it's anchored by a guy named one of the best players I ever saw in my life. His name is DeMarcus Ware. He is a lights-out linebacker. And the Cowboys were playing their arch-nemesis, the Washington Redskins, the other day. And the defense... Marcus, uh, DeMarcus Ware and his defense, they were shutting the Redskins down. Time and time and time again, Redskins would get the ball. Defense would stop them, give the ball back to Tony Romo on the offense. But Tony Romo couldn't hit the ground with the football. <laughs> he was overthrowing wide open receivers. He's throwing the ball just crazy wild. He's holding on to the ball too long, getting sacked. And time and time again, the defense would shut him down. And Romo and the offense couldn't get anything going. And this had gone on for almost the entire game. There were about five minutes left, and I saw something happen. <laughs> the commentators didn't even pick up on it. Nobody said anything about it. But I watched the game turn. After shutting down that offense time and time again, they were about to turn the ball over to their own offense, and DeMarcus Ware came over to the sidelines where Tony Romo, the quarterback, said, and I watched this body language. Romo, of course, had a horrible game. And he was sitting by himself, and his head was down. And DeMarcus Ware, the leader of the defense, who had done their job time and time again, Ware walked over to him, knelt down, and in a tender gesture for a man, put his hand around his head and patted his helmet, and I didn't have to hear what was being said. I knew what was being said. You're our quarterback. You're our leader. And I believe in you. Romo got off the field. Drove the Cowboys 80 yards for the winning touchdown. And I sat there and I thought, that game turned on encouragement. Football game is meaningless, it really doesn't matter. Some of you guys, you got a conflict going on at home. And guys, your game might turn on encouragement. Maybe to kneel down beside your wife and put her head in your hands and let her know, you're my wife. And I believe in you. And in my mind, you never fail. Maybe there's a wife here and you pick 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 and you you find fault. And you think, if I pick enough, he's going to turn into the guy that I want him to be. (laughs) Your game might turn on encouragement. Encouragement. Become a team again. Don't laugh at me on this next one. I want you to hang with me until you get my whole point. (laughs) Build an environment where you can be naked and not scared. Now, I'm not talking just about being physically naked. I'm talking about being spiritually and emotionally naked. The love of your life is going to know you better than anybody else. And you need to have a climate, an environment where the person you love is completely safe with you. And obviously, I don't mean if that person's doing something criminal. or some, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just talking about normal, everyday stuff. I'm saying you need an environment where husbands and wives are free to be who they are and be safe. This isn't about what the rules are. This is not about picking up the rocks and filling in the ruts. It's about getting back on the highway. It's about saying, what did God design and living our lives that way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your word that shows us how to live our lives. I pray for every man, every woman here today. I pray for every single. Lord, I pray for everyone who's gone through the heartbreak of going through a breakup. But I just pray that you would remind us all that you're there for us no matter where we are, no matter where this circumstance finds us, you're there for us. We want to be what you want us to be. Help us to remember you're perfect in your design and to live our lives in line with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me for just one more moment? A few moments ago, I said that when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you get a power that's way beyond what you're capable of yourself. I talked about being, you know, going from death to life is what the Bible calls it. Jesus said it was the new birth and it's not in joining a church and we've already seen it's not in giving money it is about inviting Jesus into your life it's not what you do for him it's what he does for you it's a gift if you've never invited Christ into your life here's what you need to know the bible says you need to understand that Jesus was God's son that when he came into our world he came into our world god and human at the same time and he lived a perfect life the life that you and I cannot live and then he died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave, and he's in heaven today listening for you. And if you would believe on him, if you would commit your life to him, if you would invite him in, you don't have to understand everything that happens. I'm not sure I understand. But if you'd be willing to invite him in, God will move into your life. And throughout the Bible, people just simply pray to prayer, sometimes different words, But they just prayed a prayer to invite Jesus in. And if you've never invited him in, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer with me today. These aren't magic words. These are just simple words that reach out to God. But I assure you, if you mean it from your heart, God will answer your prayer. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died in my place to pay for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And make me God's child. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, when you came in today, you got a worship folder, a little card. It's got beginnings on there. There's a card that's detachable. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, I have a gift for you. It's this packet, it's got some DVDs and great stuff in it, because I know you just prayed the prayer so quickly. But this is my gift to you. It'll help you understand even more what it means to be a God follower. You can detach the card. In a few moments, there's going to be an offering. When the offering bag comes by, you can just drop the card in there. I'll mail this to you. If you just prayed to receive Christ and you want this today, you don't have to wait. Out in the lobby, right through those middle doors behind the camera operators, there are two areas, straight out through the middle called Guest Services and New Spring Store. If you just prayed to receive Christ, just take the card back and say, I prayed with Mark. That's all you'll have to say. And they'll give you this and you can take it with you today. Guys, looking forward to this Christmas Eve. We'll see you in one of the three services on Christmas Eve. Please don't forget, there are not services here on campus This weekend, those services will be on Christmas Eve.